0: On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on, on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, because you have obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Happy Father's Day to all your all your dads and father figures and mentors out there. And on this Sunday, I also fully recognize uh, those that um, are, are having a tough time uh, becoming parents and know that have had conversations with you and praying uh, with you and for you and that this day can come particularly hard and difficult for you, especially those that maybe this is your first Sunday that you've lost your, your dad. Uh, so we come to uh, the cross this morning. We come to worship our Lord uh, maybe some of us in rejoicing, and some of us with mourning, but either way, God is good. God is there, and he's meeting us, and he wants to be there for you. I, I thank you, ICF, um, Irene, uh, Stephen, and Michael for coming to lean and joining our team here, and the rest of ICF to join in. Deacon Dan, that's what I call him. I'm not sure if anyone else calls him that. But Deacon Daniel, thanks for coming in and joining us uh, on our Sunday service this morning. Uh, this morning I woke up, my kids ran in and said happy birthday, uh, not happy birthday, happy Father's Day, that was, it was my daughter's birthday yesterday, uh, happy Father's Day uh, to, to you. Uh, I got a pair of socks, I'll show you later, with all three of my kids on it, just got it printed, uh, it's kind of scary actually, but I'll show you. Uh, a, li- a little bit, uh, you know, when you get a gift and you're looking at the gift, you're like, "Oh, so nice!" And you start looking a little closer, and you're like, "Oh, like I don't, <laughs> don't react, uh, don't give a reaction." Uh, Cohen also gave me a book this morning of a, a booklet that he made from at school, and it says, "What does my dad do at work?" In one little section there, and the three things that he said was he he eats lunch, <laughs> he drinks coffee, and he talks on the phone. Uh, so my role has been greatly reduced. <laughs> you know three things here at church, but it's a joy to be able to, um, uh, to celebrate with my family. Uh, I've been away for the last uh, two weeks in Toronto uh, in my program, so I just came back uh, early Saturday morning, so my mind is still a little bit everywhere, uh, but I'm so glad to, to be here and to worship and to share God's word. I, 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 on this Father's Day, I remember, I remember, our son is just two months old, so it's not that long ago. <laughs> But when he was first born, we had a name in mind already, and you know our son's name is Hudson. Well, what Jess and I didn't agree on yet was how we spell his name. And we probably should have uh, talked about this a little bit more, but, you know, she just gave birth, and I wanted her to rest, and I thought, being the good husband that I am, I'm going to get on it in terms of naming our son and registering our son's name (laughs) uh, into uh, the the registry. So I went on. Normally, the last uh, two kids, it was like a couple weeks afterwards, and before... I think you have at least a month or three months before the government names your child for you. So I'm like, I was way before that. This time, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it at the hospital because we're waiting. So we spelled, originally spelled Hudson's name, H-U-D-S-O-N, and I thought that's what we agreed on. And then Jess is like, I don't know. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. I already registered. His. I didn't say that right away, but I'm already registered his name. It's like, no, I think we should spell his name H-U-D-S-E-N. Like all our both our kids, Cohen and Ryan, is spelled with E-N. Like, what if he feels left out? Like, mom and dad, what did you do to me? Like, I know I don't want you to feel rejected and uh, uh, um, uh, from from the family. So we decided to change his name. And man, that was a long process. I had to find my birth certificate. I had to find. Addresses. I had to fill out all these forms, and I called in to Victoria, and they're like, oh, you got to get a notary I had to go in and stamp it on the certificate, because uh, uh, the next closest place for the government to do this is out in mission. I'm like, okay, I found a notary, I sent it in, and then they gave me a call, and they said, Doug, uh, Douglas, your forms are, is, is this Douglas Wong? I'm like, yes. It's like, oh, your forms are incomplete. Oh, how come? It's like, oh, are you Douglas T.L. Wong, which is my middle name? And what happened on the form was my initials, my middle initials are TL, and it was actually stuck together, so it became one word. And they're like, oh, officially, you're not the dad of uh, Hudson, (laughs) because the names don't match. I'm like, are you serious? It's a computer glitch. Can't you just change it? They're like, nope, you have to go in. And then, oh, just go down to our downtown office. I'm like, you have a downtown office? I thought it was a mission. And she's like, the people in Victoria, they don't know anything. (laughs) At the head office, just come downtown, we have an office there. So, and then I found out that apparently I'm not the, the legal father for Ryan as well for the last three years uh, because my name uh, was connected together. But names are important. That's my point. <laughs> names are important. in our government here It takes a lot to change someone's name legally. Names are really important. And here today in the passage, we encounter a man of God by the name of Abraham, and his name was Abram before, and I'll go into that a little bit more. But a lot of time has come, and if you... Been in the church and I heard this story and read this scripture here before. Maybe this is a little bit more familiar. But for those of us that aren't, like time has passed by between chapter twenty-one and twenty-two, from the birth of Isaac to chapter twenty-two, where Abraham is tested. Something like fifteen to seventeen years, as, as some scholars have have researched into it. And the setting of today's passage is in Mount Moriah. And where is this place? Well, currently, it's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So if you've been to Jerusalem, you have a bit of an idea what I'm talking about. But this place where Abraham is about to make the sacrifice, it's where King David in 1 Chronicles 21.18 declares that this will be the temple of the Lord. This is where God's temple will be built. And then in 2 Chronicles 3.1, we see this uh, come into fruition uh, where the Temple of Solomon become, uh, is built on this very same place. So that kind of sets us and primes us that something important is going to happen here. What's the point? Well, we see here where there is going to be sacrifice, there's also going to be worship. This idea where they're going to encounter God. God calls them into this place to meet meet him and to sacrifice. And there's this act of worship that Abraham gives out. And here we're going to see whether Abraham's faith is in his son, in this gift that he has, or his faith is in God who gave him his son. Where that is going to be tested. And in a time of Abraham's greatest trial, this was also going to be Abraham's greatest time of faithfulness. And I love that. In this difficult time where he has to make this really hard decision, I'm glad the narrative goes the way that it does, that he shows up with this great faith that we learn from. And we might think in this passage, in this sermon, what is this really all about? Is this about Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac? And That's a really uh, powerful image for us. But this passage on this Father's Day is actually about God the Father. It's about God and his heart and his character. Because as we were reading this, as, uh, as Anthony, thanks for reading scripture for us, as he was reading it, why would this story be in the Bible? Like, why would this kind of scripture be in the Bible? And the task for us today, and I would argue... Every time we open up scripture is to see Christ in it. See Jesus in it. What is Jesus doing even in the Old Testament? What is Jesus doing? How is this pointing to the gospel? How is this passage pointing to the cross? And we'll see this this morning with this big idea that it's simply this that the character of God it carries us through. It carries us through what? Well, we'll see in a little bit. But the character of God in our daily lives and our struggle in the ups and in the, in the downs, in the pain and in the joys, the character of God, we remember who he is, and it holds, he holds us strong and holds us firm through life. And it took a while before Abraham come, came to understand the character of God. But we'll see three things here this morning. The first thing is Abraham was faithful because God keeps his promises. Secondly, Abraham was faithful because he understood that God provides Thirdly, Abraham was faithful because God has a plan and he is doing something in this world. Even in a time when we don't understand, God is at work and God is moving. So this morning... As a Christian, as a believer, or you're just searching for the first time, and you're wondering, what is this faith all about? For us as Christians, and if you're a dad this morning, this is an encouragement for you, that our faithfulness in following our Lord is not rooted in our own strength, is not rooted in what we can do, but our faithfulness in following Jesus is rooted in God's character. It's rooted in who he is and who he calls us to be. So firstly, Abraham was faithful because God keeps his promises. We read this right in the first uh, verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. So I kind of said 15, 17, 20 years later. That's the estimate. He said to him, Abraham. And the whole sermon could probably be around this (laughs) one verse here. But God called him by name. That's important. God called him by name. This is significant because it triggers. It reminds Abraham of his history, of his story, of his calling, of how God has shown up time and time again in the past in his Failure, we think back to Genesis chapter 12, where God makes this promise to him, to Abraham. uh, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will, will be blessed through you. Through you, Abram. And he was 75 years old at this point, when God makes this promise that I will bless you. The nations will come, and come to uh, be a blessing through you and through your family. Abraham was 75 years old at this point, beyond, other words, in his family's beyond childbearing years. And he's thinking, how, God, are you possibly going to make this happen? See, that's the problem right there, right, right then and there. The point there is that he didn't have any kids, and he heard the promise before he saw the promise come into fruition. Him and his wife, they're old and beyond these childbearing years, and they're saying, Really, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to pull, how are you going to grow a family and a nation out of a couple who does not have any kids? And roughly 19 years go by, and a lot has happened a lot of joy, but a lot of failure has happened. And Abraham is 86, and he still hasn't had any kids yet, and he still remembers this promise from God. He hasn't seen it come to fruition, but he's holding on. He's saying, God, I want to trust in you, but then in Genesis 16 he falls. He takes matters into his own hands, and he has a son with his servant Hagar. He's, they're talking with his wife Sarah at the time, he's like maybe God's not going to show up, and maybe we should do this on our own strength. Maybe we should uh, we should take things matters into our own hands, and they make that mistake. But despite this, God makes another covenant with Abraham. He keeps his promises with them. Abraham, meaning the father of many, when he was 99 years old who was he was then Abram but he I guess his name's changed in Genesis 17 and we read this Abram fell face down and God said to him as for me and my in this my covenant with you you will be the father of many nations no longer will you be called Abram your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations i will make you very fruitful i will make you nations make nations of you and kings will come from you I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This covenant, what promise. What a great promise that comes from God to Abraham when he is 99 years old. And he says this right here. In verse 5, for I have made you a father of many nations. And he's declaring this prophetically before, to Abraham before he even sees this to be true. And Abraham is like, God, what are you talking about? What nation? I just make mistake after mistake. What nation? What are you doing? I don't see what you are doing here. And then Isaac was born. Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. I don't know. That should be a while <laughs> right there. Abraham was 100 years old, 25 years, 25 years of waiting as an old man for this promise in Genesis 12, before seeing God's promise come true, that he's going to make him a father of many nations that starts with his son Isaac at 100 years old. And this is important, why I'm spending so much time into this context, because that weighs in and, and, and... and it helps us to understand just how great of a sacrifice, how great of a call this is on Abraham for what he's about to do and his obedience. We read in verse uh, chapter 22, 1b onwards, here I am, he replied, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him. There as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And as I just read that, read that passage, maybe you're thinking this, and I'm sure Abraham thought that too. Can you imagine what was going through his heart? What what was going through his mind? He's like, are you kidding? Like, come again? You want me to do what now? As he first heard God's call, it must have truly and surely broke his heart. That is this what you really want me to do? He's thinking, God, how can I follow through with this, with the son that you've given me, the son that I love? How can I find strength to do this? And how am I going to explain this to my wife? How am I going to share this to my wife? Like what, I, left with, wait, I left with our son Isaac, and I come back with just me. How, what am I going to say? What am I going to say, say to her? And maybe you might be thinking the same thing. And in whatever it is that you're going through and however God has called you to live out your faith and live out your life, you're thinking, God, is that really what you want me to go through? Is that really what you want me to do? Is that the direction you are leading me towards? Does God really want me to live like this? And the reminder for us and the encouragement for us is that as Christians, and I know I do for myself, I often struggle with the spiritual amnesia where I forget the promises of God. And I forget how good he is, how he has shown up time and time again. And the reason why Abraham was able to move forward is because he remembered God's promises. He held on to his promises and what God has done before, and surely God will not fail him now. God will continue to lead him, even though it does not make sense. Even though it's scary, and he's in fear, and he's terrified, he follows through with the action and following what God has called him to do. And as Max Licato, author and pastor, writes, fear creates a form of spiritual amnesia. And instead of fearing the consequences, fearing what's going to happen to him, he fears God more in that moment. He has this deep reverence for God, and he follows through and he remembers his promises. God, Abraham knew and remembered the character of God, of how he fulfills everything that he says he will. Secondly, Abraham he was faithful because he also understood the character of God that God provides. That God provides. The passage continues. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told them about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He's starting to realize something is up at this point. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I could just hear the pain and the anguish of Abraham as he's replying, my son. My son, you don't know what's going to happen. We don't understand what God's calling us to do here. But my son, my beloved one, the one that I want to be with so much, but as we read this, is this not prophetic? As I mentioned before of how all scripture points to the cross. And how all scripture points to Jesus. Is this not prophetic? Where is the lamb? Isaac says prophetically. And centuries later, God himself will provide again as he does here. But this wasn't an ordinary lamb that he provides later on. This was the lamb of God. And as John the Baptist said in John 1.29, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world where is the lamb father and god will provide a sacrifice and god will provide how does abraham know this how does abraham have such faith how did this father find strength to sacrifice his own son and the answer lies in verse 5, verses 5 and 8. In verse 5, we will read it again. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy will go over there. Very deliberate in scripture. It's including him and the boy, his son, and what we will worship. And then we will come back to you. There's a little bit of a hint of what's going to happen. And in verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I don't know how. I don't know how this is going to go down. But he has this deep faith and trust in God that he is the provider. And he will fulfill his promises. And he will do what he says he will do. So some way, somehow, Abraham had the faith to know and to believe that God knows what he's doing. Even though he didn't know, he didn't understand the next step, his faith was not in himself. His faith was in God and who God says he is. And it's easy for me to say this now, that you know what, like, whatever happened to Isaac, even if there was a sacrifice to be made, like, we live in post-resurrection, so Jesus, he rose himself from the, from the grave, and as a Christian, I believe that God can bring life from death, and Abraham, have faith. We can put that New Testament lens onto Abraham, but he did not understand that. He didn't have the New Testament. This, wasn't, this was pre-resurrection of Christ, and Abraham wasn't, he didn't understand that. He didn't know that God can raise people from the grave. But from experience, Abraham still knew that God can bring life from places of desolation. That he's seen that with his own hands. He's seen the impossible happen when he was 100 and he he had a son. He's he's seen what God can do. How Abraham believed that God can bring things to life that seem dead to us. And at the heart of Abraham's faithfulness is his attitude that I don't know how and I don't know when, but I do know that God will provide. That God will show up as he has always shown up. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on this as we read in Hebrews 11, that he hints at how Abraham did believe that, Jesus, uh, the, that God can bring dead things to life. In verse 17, by faith, Abraham, was, uh, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. You catch that? Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. That's a fascinating note there on on Genesis 22. But this is important because to Abraham, in those days of going up to the mountain, to Abraham, Isaac might as well have been dead. When he, made that, when he made the decision to follow God and to follow through in this action, in his mind, his son was already dead. He was walking towards this place where the sacrifice was going to be made, and he knows what's going to happen. And did you catch how long it took for them to walk to the mountain? Three days. Three days. Three days. Look back in verse four. It was on the third day that the sacrifice was going to happen. For those three days, Isaac might as well have been dead. And for you, I'm not sure what you're struggling with and what you're going through. As a dad, maybe you're worried about your family and your kids and your marriage, you're worried about your, your work. You worry about school, you worry about that friendship, that relationship, your future. For you, maybe it's that dead relationship, that dead situation, that part where you feel deep, deep down inside of you that you're down and out and hopeless, wondering if anything good can ever come from your life and, and from the next day. Abraham was living that in those three days, that Isaac might as well have been dead. Yet Abraham remembered who God is He remembered all the times that God has shown up in order to draw strength for that moment even though he did not understand he remembered not what God was going to do because he didn't know what God was going to do but he remembered what God did in the past and how he has provided because Isaac really was his life he was everything to him and in that moment where he's about to offer everything he has he went forward and Abraham remembered what God said He's praying and speaking to God, surely you're going to do something because through the son of mine, through Isaac, you promised that all the earth will be blessed. So God, you're going to do something amazing. And it is through his son that Abraham will eventually become the father of many nations. And the call for us today, the reminder for us today is that as faithful people of God, as faithful fathers, if that's who you want to be, Faithful fathers, we're faithful because not we have faith in ourselves, because we know our own hearts. We know our own struggles. We know our own falling. But faithful fathers are faithful because they remember who God is. They remember the character of God, the promises of God. They remember how he has shown up. And their faith, our faith is in him and his promises and how he has shown up time and time again. Thirdly, Abraham was faithful because Abraham knew that God has a plan and is going to do something great. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Double emphatic, very important, a little geeky, but in scripture, if you hear two names at once, you pay attention. Abraham, Abraham, and he says, here I am. Do not lay a hand, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, you have this reverence and this respect for God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Man, I am glad verse 12 onwards is what it said it is. <laughs> because if it didn't, there would be a whole lot of other implications and questions that emails I'm going to get after this, this message. But God shows up in this way after he knew that where Abraham's faith is, where, where his hope lies. At the center of obedience to God, Abraham has this fear of God, this deep reverence for the great I am. And it was on this mountain that Abraham met with God. And it will really be the same for us. Same for us. Whenever we feel like we're climbing a mountain... If that's where God is calling you to be, as we're grinding it out, as we're trying to follow through and follow him, as we're climbing that mountain, we have to understand and and keep this perspective in mind that God will provide. That God will provide is just all depends, though, on which mountain we're climbing on. Because we might think we're climbing the mountain of God, but we're really climbing the mountain of self-sufficiency. We're climbing the mountain of our own pride, we're climbing the mountain of our culture. We're climbing the mountain of I think I know what is best. And we're working hard at that. So which mountain are we climbing up in life? Is it the mountain of God or is it the mountain of something else? Because if it is the mountain of God, there's only good things that waits for us in the, in the grinding and in the waiting and in, in the hoping. Because we see here in chapter 22 all of this. It's not pointing to the efforts of Abraham, what he did and didn't do. Though he was faithful and he's in the hall of faith... In Hebrews 11, kudos to him. (laughs) But all of this is about God and what he is doing. Genesis 22, I would argue, and a a slew of other theologians and church leaders throughout history have argued this as well, that Genesis 22 foreshadows and points to Jesus, points to what God is doing. Get this, guys. Both here in Isaac and Jesus in the New Testament, they're called beloved. Yes, my son, my beloved one. They both, they carried the wood that they're about to be punished on. Jesus carries the cross, and we catch this in this passage. Isaac is what? Carrying the wood. Carrying the wood that he's about to be offered upon. Both follow the voice of their fathers obediently. Both provides the uh, the sacrifice. Both of them are to be the lamb. Uh, Both of them are to be sacrificed on the altar. And get this, both of them were innocent. Both of them were innocent and climbed a hill to be sacrificed, to give up their lives. That as you're reading this passage, your heart is breaking for Isaac, for this, for this young boy. Like, what has he done to deserve any of this? And you're like praying, change the narrative. This can't be it because he's innocent. We know how wrong that is. And none of us would think that it's fair that Isaac gets sacrificed here it would be utter nonsense. If the passage went some other way, you might have walked out and said, this guy up there really has lost it. Well, as we parallel this, we see that Jesus, he really is the true Isaac here, the offering that's going to be made so that there'll be life for others. And it makes no sense that he will be sacrificed in this way That it would make no sense for Isaac to be sacrificed in the same way. It makes no sense to us in the human eyes to see Jesus sacrificed in that way. But an exchange happens, an exchange happens, a ram for Isaac. And in the same way in the New Testament at the cross, there was this great exchange at the cross. This cross that was meant for you and meant for me, that we were led on this cross, that this was a death, that we were deserving to die. This great exchange happened where Jesus traded his life, he was that lamb. He was that ram caught up in that thicket. He was the one that's going to be sacrificed. Jesus traded his life in order to save the world, in order for me and for you to have this life. So, if Isaac is Jesus, I hope you're following me in the story, then who is Abraham? If Isaac represents Jesus, then who does Abraham represent? God the Father. We're all outraged that as a father, Abraham would do such a thing, right? How could Abraham do this, go and sacrifice his son? I hope we, I, I did the best that I can in terms of pulling out the anguish that Abraham was sensing and feeling and offering up his son. But maybe that gives us insight into God the Father, into his anguish, into his pain as he was giving up his son on the cross for you and for me. And that, what, that is exactly what God was feeling when he gave up Jesus on the cross as he died for the sins of many. Because we kind of say it this way as we look past in the New Testament, well, it must have been easy for God to do what he did. It must have been easy for Jesus to do what he did because they're God. And the Holy Spirit, it must have been easy the Holy Spirit just to be part of that situation to watch. No, there is this great deep pain in the heart of the Trinity in that act of sacrifice. But it is in sacrifice that there is life. That it is in this brokenness that there would be this beauty that comes. It is in this death that there will be resurrection for all those that experience and come to know God. The passage ends like this. The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from from heaven a second time. And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations. Again, there's that promise, that covenant. Your offspring, all, uh, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. When Abraham gave back his son to God, there was this immediate outpouring, this pouring down of blessing from God. I'm saying the covenant is going to be fulfilled now, moving forward, now that I know that you fear me. Now it's important, as I'm coming to the end here, that, to distinguish that Abraham, he didn't do this in order to get the blessing. That's not what I'm saying here. He followed through because out of obedience. He made the sacrifice not to get the blessing. He made the sacrifice out of obedience and this fear for God. But then the blessing came because our God is a good, good father who only has good gifts for us. And he trusted in God. He, had this, he held on to the promise. He held on to this belief that, he, that God really is who he says he is. But in this letting go, that's when Abraham received the most life, even more blessing than he had before. You see, with God... With God, the moments of greatest struggle, is you think about this, as you're going through life and you're maybe in a deep and dark place and you're wondering, God, where are you right now? In the moments of greatest struggle, it's not God going against you because God is present with us in all places. In the greatest struggle, God isn't going against you. God is at work doing something new. In your moments of greatest struggle, those moments could be the crest of something great that God is just about to do in your life. If only we will hold on to his promises. If only we will hold on to his word. If only we will run after him. That God, he's working in the tomb. That God was working in those three days going up to the mountain with Abraham and Isaac. That God is working in the places where you didn't think, you and I didn't think that he was going to work. God is working on the darkest night. And God, he turns the very thing as he's asking of us to give up and to sacrifice, God turns the very thing we're willing to give up into a blessing itself. And that's beautiful. And that's the truth of the word this morning. If only we had eyes of faith to see what's invisible. So, when God calls, what is your response? And I realize I realize on Father's Day, that's just not all for your dads out there, but it's for everyone. When God calls, what is your response? Is it, here I am? Is it, here I am, use me. What is it, Lord, I'm listening to you? Or is it, I'm going to climb my own mountain, I'm going to do my own thing. What is your response? And I think as, dad, as a dad, I'm learning one of the greatest gifts I can be to my family. Is it, it's simply by being there. By showing up. And maybe that's speaking to some of you here today. When God calls for you, what is your role in your family? It's just to show up, Really to be there for your family, to be there for your kids, to be there for your wife, to be there for whoever it is that needs you in that moment, to stand in the gap and to be there because that, that's what God is calling you to be and who God, God is calling you to be. So when God calls, what is your response? And the flip side, if it's, that's a hard question for you. What, are, what is keeping you back from following him? What is keeping you back from truly putting your faith in him? What is holding you back? As we come to the end this morning, we come to see that Abraham depended, his faith was founded upon the character of God. And I've known in my own family and my own experience and families that I've spoken with that the character of the dads and of the moms, of the parents, the character is either going to break the family or break the family. The call for us this morning isn't for us to try harder, if that's what you're hearing. Like, there you go, Doug, just try harder, work harder, do more. That's not the call. The call this morning is to rest more in God and to follow in his footsteps of who God is as father to us. If you care about your family, you want the best for your wife, for your kids, the call here is to follow closer to Jesus and to be more like him. Because Abraham wasn't trusting more in himself because he knows how many times he's failed. He knows his own heart. Abraham was trusting more in God. And I know it's scary, and I know it's difficult, but the call and the reminder for us this morning is that you're at your best, not when you're trying your hardest, though try your best. You're at your best when you're willing to give it all up and sacrifice that to God. Because the safest place to be is to be in the will of God. That's the best place to be and to understand that God will provide. And through sacrifice, ultimately, God does bring salvation to the world. And we're sitting as benefactors to that now. Let's pray. Father, on this Father's Day, we recognize and acknowledge you as our Father. As our good God, as the Father that has come to love us with perfect character, showing us perfect grace and love. And Lord, at this moment, I just pray for all the fathers in this space and those that are gonna be watching the recording as well. I pray, God, that our hearts will be aligned with God the Father, that we would love our our wives with truth and with grace, that we would love our wives as Jesus loved the church. God, also pray for our hearts, the hearts that are tired, that are weary, that you will rejuvenate us at this moment, Lord, That's not about trying harder, but it's about leaning closer to you. So Father, may you give us all rest here this morning. And God, this morning as we come to the cross, may we marvel, Lord, of how you sacrificed and gave up Jesus so that we do not need to die. For whoever needs to hear that this morning, God, I'm praying that they will receive you that they will come to know you, that they will say yes to you, Jesus, that in you is true life, in you is only good things. May you help us to push past that fear and to have faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.